Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strong rock and redeemer. Amen. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is our Easter refrain, our proclamation. But by the third week of Eastertide, we may be saying it by rote. And if we're honest, many of us are wondering about what actually happened. What is happening? Is Jesus alive? Are these accounts true? Today's story from Luke is very similar to what we heard last week from John. The disciples are hiding out, afraid of the Roman authorities, afraid that they might be arrested. And even though they've heard reports of Jesus resurrected, they're not sure. For who could believe such a thing? When he appears to them, they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Jesus greets them. Peace be with you. For he knows that they are afraid and troubled and confused. Everyone is trying to sort out what happened between the crucifixion that day, the empty tomb, and these reports that Jesus is alive. What really happened? What could be believed? What news source is credible? In that locked room, Jesus somehow mysteriously joins his friends and he shows them his hands and his feet to assure them that it is he in flesh and blood. And then he eats with them, the companion they had eaten with so many times. I love that part of the story where he asks for something to eat. Can't you just picture their faces and the little piece of fish on the plate as they hand it to him, waiting to see what's going to happen? But Luke doesn't tell us that even when they're watching Jesus eat the fish, Luke doesn't say to us that they're convinced in that moment that he's really there, that it's really him. The disciples are a scared bunch of grieving people hiding behind locked doors. That's who Jesus encounters that day. So frankly for them, what would it mean to see the truth? To see that the Lord is risen from the dead? What were the implications for seeing that reality for them and for us? We often say, seeing is believing. And in last week's story of Thomas seeing Jesus, when he sees Jesus for himself, he falls to his knees and proclaims, my Lord and my God. So for Thomas, seeing is believing. But I don't think it's a universal truth for all of us. I think that in our fears and insecurities, we tend to look away from reality. We close our eyes to what is before us. We keep ourselves locked up in different ways. For safety, we say. We build walls 
to shield us from seeing the needs of others. We build prisons so we don't have to deal with the reality of poverty and drugs and racism. We refuse to give up our guns. We self-medicate with alcohol and overwork, shopping and social media. Because if we really saw, if we actually opened our eyes without fear of what we might learn about ourselves and about our world, we might have to live differently. We might have to see in ways we cannot imagine. We might be called to take risks we think we couldn't possibly do. We might have to give up ideas long cherished and cultivated, protected and defended. We might have to trade safety for risk. Friends who always agree with us for friends who challenge us. Seeing may require us to believe in something new, something we cannot imagine by ourselves, something only God can show us. There's an article in today's New York Times magazine, which I encourage each one of you to read. It inspired this sermon not because I'm trying to lift up a political position or make any kind of policy statement. I want to be really clear about that. That's not my job. But it inspired me because it challenged me to think about, I had written our capacity, but I'll say my capacity. It challenged me to think about my capacity to see the reality of other people's experience and not react or judge, to simply see and ponder and pray. It's quite a long piece with several very powerful photographs. So even if you don't typically read the New York Times, I invite you to try this out as a baby step or a little test for yourself to explore seeing in a new way. You don't have to tell anyone you did it. So the article is about the disparity in death rates between white and black mothers and white and black infants. There's carefully researched facts about the differences in the mortality rates. And woven through the story is the story of one mother and her children and her experience with the medical community of doctors and with, the, uh, with her relationship with her doula, which is a person who walks along beside someone uh, through the pregnancy and birth process. The article is entitled, Why America's Black Mothers and Babies Are in a Life or Death Crisis. And it's by Linda Villarosa. You can just Google it. It's the highest read article in the Sunday's paper. So as I was reading this, I ran through a really wide range of emotions. From anxiety to anger, sadness, beauty, 
appreciation of beauty. The photographs are quite extraordinary. And by the end, I was crying. And what I learned was it's really, really difficult to see. It's really hard to see. In this case, to see that the institution of slavery in our country's past continues to produce vines that have very sharp thorns, which pierce and damage our friends and neighbors. I found myself wondering what it would take, how much courage, how much faith it would take for all of us to quell our anxiety and fears long enough to slow down enough to actually be able to listen carefully to really try to see the reality of systemic racism, poverty, hopelessness in our society and to evaluate it without our own fears getting in the way. Part of the problem is that we live in a world that's so flooded with information, this constant roar of opinions and news and fake news and tweets and lies and people yelling and no wonder we can't hear ourselves think clearly or take the proper time to see clearly. At the end of today's reading, Luke tells us that Jesus opened the disciples' minds to understand the scriptures. Every time I've read that line before, I thought it was about the scriptures, because this is church, and we should all be reading more scripture together, and I'm in favor of that. But when I, but when I read it again last night, I thought, I think we're focusing on the open their minds part. I think that's what Jesus was, was doing. The only way they were able to see was for him to open their minds. So I'm praying that God will open my mind and take away my fear so that I can see more clearly. At the end of the passage, Jesus tells us repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name. Now, the word repentance in Greek is metanoia, and it means a changing of one's mind, a reorientation. So our repentance, God's forgiveness, those things are all wrapped up together. So I think here we are in the third week of Easter. I think what Jesus' resurrection means is it's an invitation to a way of living without fear. It's an invitation to figure out how we can actually see the truth. Think about it. If death has no claim on you or on me, then we're free. We're free to see what is real. And what we know is what's real is a really broken world. 
And we also know what's real is a merciful and forgiving God who loves this broken world and all of us in spite of our sinfulness. That's really good news. I can unlock the door, open the windows, and walk out into the world knowing that my sins will be forgiven. Knowing that we can work together to heal the sins of the past and the present. And because of God's grace, we will live, truly live. Now, Luke doesn't tell us this in the passage today, but we know that the disciples did go. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. They recognized the Lord. They believed in his message of hope, of repentance and forgiveness. They went out into their broken world and proclaimed the good news. We are called to join them. So now when we say it, let's mean it. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah.